Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Well, unusually this year, the World Junior Championship is being played in August. (laughs) And here to preview the uh, tournament for us, Chris Peters. How are you doing today, Chris? Jesse, I'm doing well. It is very weird. It feels very strange to be uh, planning a trip to Edmonton in August, (laughs) but here I am ready to go. Um, And honestly, excited that, you know, there's there's hockey to be watched and and clearly still a lot of great prospects playing in this event. What's the weather even like in Edmonton in August? It's so I'm I live in the Midwest, so it's pretty similar to here. It's a little humid, little uh, little warm. You know, it might dip a little cooler in the nighttime, uh, but yeah, it won't be too different for me from where I currently am. I think the weirdest part is going to be when Christmas rolls around and we're doing another one, uh, <laughs> whatever it is, four months later. I think that's probably going to be, I mean, it's odd It's odd to have it in August, but like I said, I think the rapid succession of two tournaments will be uh, when it really hits. It, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's so weird. So like USA just had their their World Junior Camp. And they had, you know, over 50 players there for two teams and, you know, trying to figure out. And so you've got to manage that. So so the weirdness has been going on. And, um, you know, it's just it's so weird to see kind of how it all shook out. And then there were a few guys that kind of weren't on the team last year that ended up making the team this year. They had a lot of players to replace, as a lot of teams do. But, yeah, then you go from this event where, you know, you've got a range from 2002 to 2004 born players on most rosters. And then you go to the next one and you're going to have the 2003 to, you know, probably 2004 and a few 2005s in the mix. Um, and yeah, it's just, it, it's, it, it's amazing how much work actually goes into putting world junior teams together and you need all of the time that you possibly can have. And for somebody like me, if it's just watching from the outside, I don't have that same pressure, but it's still like, wow, we got to shift gears immediately after this tournament's over to the next one. Uh, for those coaches and, and, and administrators for USA Hockey, Hockey Canada, all the international federations. So logistically, this isn't great. And then also one thing I did want to point out as we're talking about it, as far as the players go, the timing of this tournament could not be worse, in my opinion. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these guys, and you look at a lot of guys that pulled out, a lot of teams that said, we're not going to send our guys, we're not going to allow them to play which I, I totally respect that decision because this these guys are under contract. You're expecting them to make your NHL or at least play in your NHL training camp. In some cases, this will be good because it'll help those guys prepare. They had to get in shape a little bit earlier. In a lot of cases, it's not great because they haven't had a lot of time, downtime from the previous season. And that's always the thing that, I, that I, I worry about is not just the way that our schedule is set up in hockey is such that there are problems with 
you know, these guys getting enough time to actually rest, to work out over the summer, to get bigger and stronger, to focus on the things away from the rink. And here, you know, the World Junior Camp started in July. And then you you go through this whole thing. And some of these guys were going through Holinka Gretzky Cup and all these other different things. And so there's never really any downtime for prospects. So that that those two years from when you're 17 to when you're about 20, you have so many commitments. Um, and that's one thing I do con- have a little bit of concern about the players, even though, you know, selfishly, I'm excited to see them play. Yeah, I'm, in addition to all that, this is the... It feels like a rescheduled tournament, but at some level, it is a continuation of a tournament that was already begun and then canceled a few days into it back, you know, in Christmas for COVID reasons. What's what are some of the higher profile players that were playing in that tournament that won't be playing in this August version of it because either they got drafted or the team that they had already been drafted to said, yeah, it was great in Christmas when we were a few months away from their initial draft, but now we're a full calendar year. Past yeah. It. Yeah. So, I mean, right off the bat, no, your Isolovkoski, no Simon Emich, the top two picks from this draft, no Shane Wright, number four pick from this draft. Um, you know, you've got Cole Perfetti uh, who was on Canada. You've got Jake Sanderson and Matty Beniers, the two most uh, essential players uh, for USA. And then Drew Camesso, their starting goaltender who also played in the Olympics for team USA. He's not going to play in the tournament. And that's, he, you know, as far as I can tell, that's his decision. Um, and I totally respect it because he's got a lot of other things to consider going into this season. It was his last year of eligibility for the world junior. So that's it for him. Um, you know, so those are a number of the players. Um, I'm trying to think of a few, I mean, there are certainly more from the European nations as well. Um, that, that may not be able to play And Canada is missing. I think nine total players, Owen power, um, you know, and, and, and Caden Gooley, who was their captain last year. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of talent missing, but then there's still, it just, it just speaks to how strong the hockey pool is outside of the NHL right now, that even with all those guys gone, we've still got high, high end players, you know, Logan Cooley is going to play for team USA. They're going to have, um, you know, Canada is going to have Connor Bedard, who's the number one draft prospect coming into this season. Um, you know, and then the other thing, the other other difference from this winter, the entire Russia team, no Russia in this event. Uh, so no Matt Vay Mitchkov, no Danilo Yurov, no, uh, you know, n- none of those guys that, you know, that we wanted to uh, see. And, and, you know, I think it's unfortunate for the Russian players that, you know, decisions made so far above their heads are going to impact their ability to play internationally, to represent their country, to have these opportunities. But it's obviously the right decision by the IHF to not allow Russia to continue to compete. Um, while things are going on in the world that are, are really, uh, you know, difficult. And so, um, so yeah, so that's another huge difference is no, no Russia. And that takes a huge, you know, that, that changes the balance of the tournament in a pretty significant way. When we're talking about usually only four to five teams have an honest, a good, uh, an honest shot at winning, uh, the gold medal. So you mentioned Russia not uh, allowed to participate. That takes Kirill Kirsanov uh, out of the equation for the Kings. We traded Brock Faber. So another high profile name that would have played uh, on Team USA, who was on Team USA when this tournament began. Yeah. Yep. And now (laughs) captured Team USA. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. but not for the Kings. (laughs) Um, Nope. (laughs) And uh, and then sort of infamously, Brant Clark, again, not named to Team Canada. Now. I don't, I think I'm fairly on record as saying to me, the WJCs, if something positive happens there, great. 
awesome. Let's talk about it. Let's hype it up. But if somebody has a bad tournament, I don't care really. Um, so the fact that Brant Clark wasn't named to Team Canada doesn't hurt my feelings personally, but it is the lock, loss of an opportunity to watch one of your high-profile prospects in a high-profile tournament. I've seen lots of times. It didn't hurt my feelings, but it seemed to hurt a lot of Kings fans' <laughs> feelings. Um, yeah. And I don't think it... I mean, we've talked to Brant Clark about it, and he gave exactly the kind of answer that you would want someone in that position to give but any thoughts or any rumors or scuttlebutt you've heard or, or any speculation as to why brant clark was deemed um not worthy to make that roster given that he has put up some pretty impressive numbers yeah you know and he had put up some really good numbers before the last term i think so the the important thing to understand about this particular canadian roster they're missing two defensemen caden Gooley and owen power um so they only had two defensemen to replace from the winter team. And uh, you also have to consider the fact that Brent Clark technically while eligible is a 2003. Most of the players that are going to make team Canada are going to be 2002 born. Okay. Um, they do have two 2003 defensemen on their roster and in, in Olin Zellweger and um, uh, Carson Lambos who made the team in the winter as well. Um, and as good as Brent Clark was, um, Olin Zellweger uh, is kind of the guy that's playing the role that you would expect Brant Clark to play. And he was the WHL defenseman of the year. Um, and honestly, you know, I think his, his development went skyrocketed in, in a way, not that Brant Clark's didn't, because obviously he had a, a tremendous season, but that was a guy that was already on the team in the winter. I don't think they're going to replace a guy that was the WHL defenseman of the year. And I just don't see exactly where, stylistically brand clark fits in because they lose owen power they lose kate and Gooley. they that's two of their top guys that would play the hardest matchups that would also provide some offense but are also going to play some 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 tougher minutes so um they also had jack thompson who would have made the team but actually got covid like right before the tournament um so they brought him in um and i'm trying I, i'm blanking on the last defenseman that they added but what i what i would say to you know, clearly when they put the team together in December, they decided, you know, that Brand Clark wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't even part of their pre-tournament camp. Um, and um, that wasn't necessarily a huge surprise to me. I think there was enough things that he needed to work on where he may not have been ready for that at that point. Now, after the season that he had, I think you can make the case, but, but I wasn't in Canada when they had their tryout camp. So I can't speak specifically to what I saw there because I wasn't there. Um, but talking to some people that were good camp, nothing spectacular, nothing to say, I deserve to be on this team right now. What he'll probably will happen is in December, he will be one of the top defensemen on that team, more than likely. Um, he has, you know, the track record of having had a good under 18 world championship. He'll have had that, that, that good season. Um, now, you know, if he somehow, shocks everybody and, and makes the Kings roster, you know, then he's not going to play in that tournament. But um, I think he's one of those players where the, there's a lot more to him than the numbers. And there are things that he'll definitely need to continue to work on defensively, his skating. Those are things that are still, um, you know, things that maybe aren't quite ready. So when you have uh, the world juniors is, is really difficult because 
they're looking for players that are good right now, that, that, are, that, are, that are ready right now. When you draft a player, you're drafting him for the future. You're saying, okay, we think this guy's going to be good a few years down the road. And that's why sometimes you'll see a super high draft pick from the most recent draft not make their world junior team. Um, you know, and so I think also Canada has typically tried, especially on the back end, to go older and to have those 19-year-olds that are more experienced, some of those guys that you know have been through world juniors or have a couple extra years of, of, of junior experience under their belt. So um, I didn't – when I saw it, I, was, I wasn't surprised to see the reaction, but it didn't surprise me that he wasn't there. Um, I, that's, uh, it, it doesn't and, – and again, this says nothing about him as a prospect. It says nothing about his future. It does not change his projection. Um, you know, the Kings obviously thought highly of him and drafted him in a high position. They think he's going to be a, a dynamic offensive defenseman. You know, I think that there is still that potential to be there, um, and he'll have a chance to show that more than likely at the December event. There's a story that may or may not be true, but I, I choose to believe that it is true, and, and it tickles me in just the right way. And the story basically goes that uh, back in the 60s or 70s, whenever it was, when networks were trying to figure out what to air around Christmas time, because all of their usual programming and shows and, you know, staff and people were taking breaks and taking vacation around Christmas, there was a struggle to come up with programming. And that because of a clerical error somewhere, the movie It's a Wonderful Life was never copyrighted. And so it had lapsed into the public domain. And so networks all across North America were able to play It's a Wonderful Life for free as much as they wanted at Christmas time. And it's a very long movie that ostensibly takes place at Christmas, even though it's a flashback of the man's life that doesn't take place at Christmas. And so it started getting played all the time. And now because it was played all the time in all of these markets for free over and over and over and over again, it became sort of a tradition. It was never intended to be, it was never planned on. It's not a movie, I would argue, that's particularly meaningful or good to the larger, like, cinematic narrative it's just what was available the reason i go into all that is that the world juniors is a tournament that i'm not sure what its impact is outside of its own existence and it exists primarily because there was a space on the calendar around christmas <laughs> and somebody in canada had the bright idea of televising the tournament and now it's become this huge thing that we all spend a lot of time you know i'll do respect to the players and the coaches and the people that cover it, but we spend a lot of time analyzing what is at the end of the day a very short tournament um and correct me if i'm wrong but tons of players have had bad tournaments and gone on to have great careers and tons of guys have had great tournaments and gone on to have forgettable careers oh yeah i mean no you're 100 percent right i mean it's a two week snapshot of a play. It's a seven game snapshot of a player's season played on a large stage. Now I'll, I'll contend that there is absolutely value in the event in terms of the experience that it creates, the opportunity that it creates the, you know, the, the different ways that, you know, this makes us understand players. Um, when we see a player, like say a Brant Clark or somebody of, of that nature play for their junior team. They are the best player on their team. Well, let's shrink that down. 
let's shrink that down and see what happens when we take all the best players from their teams and have to put them into these situations. And, and, and what that does is it kind of mimics an NHL roster in, in that even the best junior hockey players, some of the very best junior hockey players of all time never made it in the NHL. And it's because once that group shrunk, they were not at that same level. And so I, I think that this gives us just a small glimpse of that kind of what kind of roles these guys can play, how they fit into a system where everybody's an elite player. Um, and I mean, that's, that's mostly just for four nations or five nations uh, total where it's like USA, Canada, Finland, Sweden, and if Russia was there, Russia. Um, so that's helpful. The other thing that it does for these players is it does provide them a high-pressure environment with a lot of attention. Um, it, it gets them into a playoff mode. Every single game feels, you know, it's the preliminary round doesn't, but you get uh, like basically three game sevens in, on your road to the gold medal. Um, you know, it gives players an opportunity to, you know, kind of have those moments to stand out, to step out and make those plays and, and, and be the, be the guy. And when they have that, that can either build confidence. I've seen plenty of guys have it where it didn't help their confidence very much if they had a bad tournament, but it, it it's in, it, in the end, again, it's just a small snapshot. So, but I think that the other thing that it does, you know, for us is it just, it's, it's another measuring stick too. It allows us to kind of compare players. Am I going to put all my eggs in the world junior basket when I'm evaluating a player? No, but I am going to take some pretty, this is, this is a significant measuring stick opportunity for these players and the players that do step up, you have to take note of that. And then you keep watching them and you say, okay, can they maintain that? Or did they take off or did they really go down? Um, did they get hurt? All these different things kind of come into play. Um, but I think in, in general, the world juniors for me personally continues to be a really important evaluation event because that snapshot of among those players, it's one of the only opportunities I'm going to get to see these guys against the best of the best within their age group and see how they stack up against the rest of them. And, and it can be very telling at times. I think the key word in that sentence, there's opportunity. Um, let's take two Kings prospects uh, and team Canada, Brant Clark and Akil Thomas. Brant Clark has arguably a way higher draft profile than Akil Thomas eighth overall versus I think Akil Thomas mm. was 45th, maybe. Um, yeah, I think he was even lower than that. 51st, mad, so, second round anyway. Yeah. Um, but Akil Thomas was given the opportunity. And to this point, Brant Clark has not. Um, and so the question is, what do you do? We can't judge people on opportunities given, right? It's not yeah. in their control. But Akil Thomas has that memorable tournament winning goal, you know, yep. against Russia a few years ago. And we heard all the people with the rain talk about the type of player he is. And he sounds like the kind of guy you would expect to, you know, and, and again, it's all about to seize those moments. He got, yes. he got the opportunity and he seized it. Whereas it's difficult, I think, to judge someone who is never actually given the opportunity. So hopefully uh, yeah. Frank Clark will, uh, will get one, that opportunity. One note on that too, that Akil Thomas moment is so great because I think he was really pissed about how, <laughs> how he was, how he, how he was used in that tournament mm. and, and, good on him because what do you do with that and what a great life experience for him to say i wasn't happy with my role i didn't like what i was doing but when they tapped my shoulder i was ready and that is about all you can ask for for a guy that's put in that role and you know akil has had to battle he's had to continue to develop you know there's been doubts about this or that or the other thing about him but he continually rises to the occasion and finds a way 
And, and that is just a small, again, a small snapshot of what he can do and why, you know, I, I was always high on Akil Thomas. I had him as a first round draft prospect in the year that I did those draft rankings. And then, you know, you always like when you see a guy succeed at that level. Now he still has to prove it and make the Kings at some point, you know, he's going to have to do, you know, be an everyday regular and all those different things. Um, But in the end, he's at least proven that he's, he's ready when called upon. And that's a great thing to be. Bad calls, dirty slashing. We expect a little bull on the ice, but you know when we can't stand it? When we're tracking packages, looking up tracking numbers, shipping statuses that never get updated. We call bullshit. So we got Route. It's the free app that tracks everything you order online in one place. Route sends us real-time tracking updates, or we can pop into the app to see where our stuff is on an actual map. Download the Route app in the App Store or Google Play, or head to route.com to learn more. No bullshit, just great tracking. So we talked a lot about guys that aren't playing for the, for in the uh, WJC. <laughs> uh, let's talk about some guys that are. We'll start in Sweden. Uh, Helgi Granz uh, will be playing defense for Team Sweden. And he's an interesting prospect, at least in the Kings system. I don't know how he slots in on Team Sweden. But on the Kings, uh, within the Kings depth chart, he's like eight on uh, through no fault of his own. I mean, he's 19 years old. So yeah, no disrespect intended to, to Helgi. But he's eight on like an insanely deep uh, right shot defenseman uh draft or uh, excuse yeah. me uh depth depth chart where does he figure into sweden's plans i mean i think you know it looks like he's probably going to play you know a top four role for them he's probably going to be one of their key penalty killing defensemen uh going to be playing some tough matchups i know they like him you know they like they like his style they like what he brings um they're going to be looking for their entire decor to move pucks quickly sweden's got a chance to win this thing um, no question about it. They have some of the the fewest losses um, of players that are that would have been otherwise eligible. Um, so that helps that they have that. You know, they've got Jesper Wallstead in that. They've got Bronze and then they'll also have uh, uh, Edvinson and others on, on on the back end. They've got some really good forwards up front. So they're going to be a talented team and, and a threat to win this thing. Um, and. So, you know, I think he's going to play some pretty significant minutes. It's all about mobility, getting, you know, making sure that he's continuing to, to, to skate well, to, to, to handle some of the speed they're going to play with. Um, Sweden wants to be a quick team. Um, so, you know, stylistically, um, he should be fine. You know, I don't think he'll get eaten up by the pace. He's a really intelligent hockey player, which helps him a lot. So, you know, I think he's going to play a pretty significant role on the team. I think he actually scored a goal in the, uh, um, uh, the their pre-tournament game against Finland yesterday. So, you know, I mean, that's that's all good. And and I know the head coach Thomas Monton really has a lot of respect for what he does. And and I think there's a lot of trust there too, um, which is probably why we'll we'll see him play a pretty significant role for Sweden. So given everything we talked about in the first part of our conversation about opportunity and 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 you know pressure and all the hallmarks of the tournament, what does a successful tournament for Helgi Grands look like in your mind? Um, you know, I think it's just being being part of a contributor to a to a, a contending team, um, you know, playing a, a good amount of minutes, making sure that he's not getting beaten easily, um, you know, to the outside that he's winning the physical battles because of his size, um, that he's not getting, you know, he's not catching himself out of position, um, you know, put if the coach is going to trust you, you got to reward that trust with with solid play. And I think, you know, for him it's always just going to be about just staying consistent, staying simple too, not playing too, uh, 
too complicated a game in order to, uh, you know, to, to maximize his own strengths. Like, I don't think he's going to go on end to end rushes um, every single time out. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to uh, be jumping up into the play at will. I think he's more going to have to play a little bit more conservative and make sure that he's staying consistent because they have a lot of guys that can do that. Um, and that, that might be able to do it a little bit better. So it's sometimes it's going to be, have to be on him to kind of be that more steady, reliable presence defensively. Um, you know, I'm not looking at his points. I'm not looking at anything like that. I'm just looking at how does he defend? How does he get pucks up to the, to his forwards and, and our, you know, how often are they getting out of the zone quickly when he's on the ice? Let's switch now to the arch nemesis of team Sweden, team Finland. Um, two players in the King system representing team Finland. We're going to start with Casper Seaman Tybel because I was talking to some people at the office the other day and I'd say that I pay on average a lot more attention to every nook and cranny of the Kings uh, hockey operations than say your average Kings fan. And sometimes more so than uh, maybe your average Kings staffer, no disrespect to everybody I work with listening to this. Um, but I was sort of stunned because I realized I I really don't know anything about Casper Seaman Tybel. And we, we were thinking about it, going back, and was like, when was he drafted? I mean, he's playing in the WJC, so he can't be that old. And realizing that I don't know that I've ever had an opportunity to see him live, at, either at a development camp or, you know, at, at a practice or anything like that, because he's was drafted during the COVID, you know, during the pandemic and wouldn't have come out here. And he plays in Europe and he had, I think, I believe he had a military obligation to fulfill. So he wasn't at dev camp this year. So like, I just don't, I don't have any expectations because I don't know anything about him other than what I can look up on hockey DB or elite prospects or something like that. So where does he fit in for Finland? Well, I think he's going to play a pretty substantial offensive role for their team. Um, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm going to have to double check and, and see kind of where he slotted into the lineup for that for that pre-tournament game. But he was on the team the year before. You know, he, he actually produced for them. He's got quickness and speed. He's got a really good release. He can do a lot of different things, um, you know, offensively that you want. Um, you know, looking at their their line chart, he's, you know, essentially playing in a, in a top six role or maybe in a third, you know, at worst their third line, um, you know, that, so that means he's going to be relied upon for offense. And so, you know, I think that with him, it's all about, you know, playing to that pace, it, it, the finish, the finish style has often been very deliberate, very, that's um, a perfect word for it. Yeah. You know, just deliberate and, and kind of like, you know, discipline. Um, he's more of an electric kind of player. He's got, you know, electric style to him and, he played in in the top pro league last year, um, fourteen points in thirty three games. Um, in other events for the U twenty ranks, like they've played in like four nations and different things, he's been productive there as well. So you know he's got a track record with them. He was on the team in the winter. He had a goal in their first two games um, as well. So traditionally, when he's been part of a Finnish national team, he's been productive. You know, he's been a guy that that gives them scoring depth at worst. And so that's, that's a really good place for him to be. He's not a big guy, but he plays with some pace and he's got, you know, some tenacity in his game and that allows him to have more success. So I think he'll, he'll, you'll notice him. You know, you watch this tournament, you're going to notice him when he's on the ice for sure. Uh, Undersized though, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, he's a little bit on the smaller side, but I think the one thing that he's shown over the last probably two years is that, 
you know, he's getting that, that lower body stronger. He's becoming more difficult to knock off the puck. He's getting able, he's, he's finding ways to get under players, which you have to do as a bit of a smaller guy. And, and, and he plays with enough quickness where it doesn't really hold him back. It doesn't seem. I want to dive deeper into your use of the word deliberate because I chuckled as soon as you said it, but I, I, for those listening who may have no idea what we're talking about, I just want to flesh that out a little bit. I've heard Finland's style uh, of international hockey play as being more like soccer where they will move up as a team, enter the attacking zone, try and create something. And if it isn't there, they have no problem falling back, you know, retreating and trying again, rather than trying to force some sort of creative explosive attack. It's a, it's, it's that's why I was laughing. It's a deliberate sounds like the perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's a pretty good summation of kind of how they play. I, I've always been amazed particularly at the U20 level um, when they didn't have the most skilled teams, when they were all about, they, they had no choice, but to be a counterattack team as opposed to an attacking team um, because they either didn't have the pace or they didn't have the skill. Now they start to have the skill, you know, so now they have the Brad Lamberts and the Aturatsus and these different players that can, and Seaman Teibel and players that can go up and down the ice, but they still don't, you know, and it's particularly, I think this U20 level and, and at the U18 level, we saw it where they weren't, they weren't trying to open it up. You know, they don't try to, they don't want a wide open game. They want you to play at their pace and that's how they win. Um, and it's a very team oriented game. It's a very, uh, every, you know, the, the collective is important um, in, in how they play. And it's allowed them to, to have a lot of success at the U20 level. Um, you know, and they, they've, they've been lucky in the years where they've won, where they've had guys that just took tournaments over, like Tebo Teravainen, Patrick Laine, Jesse Pugliarvi, um, you know, Kasperi Kapanen. They've had guys where they just, at that age, were ready to take it over. Um, and, and so their counterattack had more bite to it. Um, this year's team, it's going to be interesting. They've got a really strong goaltender. They've got good puck moving defenseman. Topi Niemela is going to be a guy to watch. He's a, he's a Leafs prospect. And, you know, I think he's going to play massive minutes for their team. Um, so this is going to be kind of, I think this Finnish team has a little bit of that hybrid style where they have that, that team cohesion, but they also have the skill level to potentially counter, you know, attack a little bit more and put more pressure on the opposing offense or opposing defense. There's a running joke uh, out there in the world that like being the 150th ranked tennis player in the world is the greatest gig ever because nobody, nobody knows who you are. Nobody has any expectations on you, but you go to all these tournaments, you cash your paycheck and you, you know, you live this incredible life. I always feel like Finland is the equivalent of that in professional hockey. Like I never, you never, we were talking about earlier, right. For four or five tournaments have an opportunity to medal. You, they never get talked about in the same breath as Canada, Russia, or Sweden, America. And yet, if you go back and look at team Finland's medal record uh, on, you know, <laughs> it's uh, every tournament they're Yeah. They're picking. They're there. I mean, yeah. Look at, look at how many Olympic medals they just quietly grabbed, you know, yep. and different things where, where, you know, they, they find a way and, um, yeah. And the, the interesting thing too, is like Russia was actually that same way for a while where they were like under Valerie Bragan, who's, you know, moved on from their, their junior team. And he, he was always like their team defended so well that they were just so hard to play against. They just would wind up with a bronze medal or a silver medal. They couldn't, they, they, they only won gold once uh, at the juniors, but you know, and that's, that role has shifted and Finland has kind of become that team at the U 20 level. And then you get the years where they do win the U twenties. Um, and most recently in Vancouver with Capo Caco scoring a late game winner against the U S and, 
Um, I think that was actually the first gold medal game the U.S. had played in and lost, or maybe the second in world junior history. So, um, you know, they, they always seem to find a way, that's for sure. I just, I really think that they need, I don't know, better uh pr or something because like even the miracle on ice didn't didn't after america beat the ussr didn't they actually have to beat finland to get the gold and like <laughs> they did have to yeah they had to beat finland, i think about. in yeah in regulation yeah, yeah it was like and it's yep, totally yep. forgotten detail anyway yep. there's another player playing for finland samuel Hellenius. um and this is a player that i personally am hoping develops into the type of player that i love to watch um everything i've heard about him projects him out as like a mean huge the guy is gigantic i refuse to believe that he's six six um he's got to be taller than that but everything i've read projects him out as you know a big mean third line center and when he was drafted that was sort of the rhetoric rhetoric is like well five six years from now we know who's playing third line c for the la kings but in a tournament like this is there room for that kind of role what do we expect out of him in a tournament like this Oh, there, there absolutely is. And it's almost sometimes those roles become more vital and those lines become more prominent. And actually, before the tournament was canceled in December, Hellenius was part of their best line. Like Brad Lambert, him, um, and I think it was Vili Koivinen. Uh, they were all together and they were super productive. Um, and, you know, I think the thing about Hellenius is that this level, he should be a physical domi- physically dominant force, which I fully expect him to be. Um, he is, uh, a good skater for his size. He's not going to burn you, you know, with breakaway speed, but he has the mobility that, that he's just very difficult to contain. He's got that long reach. He's got a good release. He's got good hand skills. Um, he's good at the faceoff dot. You know, there's a lot of things to like about his game. Um, if you look at the way that Finland listed their, their lines for the last exhibition game, he's listed as the third line. I think they're actually more like the second line in terms of minutes played. Um, and, and how important they're going to be. I think Atu Ratu is going to be the leader of that top line um, after an incredible season that he had after being a you know kind of guy that really fell down the draft board um, two years ago. And so, um, yeah, so I mean, I think that Hellenius is in position to be a, a, a prominent figure on this team, a guy that's going to play some key minutes, might kill penalties, probably going to be on the power play. He's going to be an all-situations type player. Um, and you need guys like that because if you don't have them, it's really difficult to shut down the opposing team's top lines. It's, it's difficult to kill penalties. Um, you know, he's such a net front presence as well. Um, you know, he's just got to kind of stand there, put a stick down and, you know, kind of do the old Thomas Holmstrom, uh, from back in the day when the, when the Red Wings were, were winning. And, you know, he's going to play with two guys that have, you know, quickness and skill, um, Lambert actually, you know, was actually, he, he didn't play in the pre-tournament game where I have to see, I guess he got a little banged up, but, um, you know, if, if they continue what they did in December, they're going to be one of the best lines to watch in this tournament, I think. So I'll ask you the same question about, uh, Seaman Teibel and Hellenius that I asked you about Grons. What does a successful tournament look like for these two guys? I mean, I think for Seaman Teibel, the, 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 he's got to put up points. Like he's got to be able to be that secondary scoring threat that they need him to be. He's got to get behind defenses and just make it a little more, create a little havoc in the offensive zone. Um, you know, if he's not producing what else, if he's got to find other ways to, to make an impact. Um, I think that his, at his size and the, at his style of play, he should be able to produce and, and be able to make things happen. As far as Hellenius goes, I would say the successful tournament for him is just to, to, 
you know, kind of be the physical bully that he should be at the U20 level. He's not able to do that at the AHL level yet. He's not able to, to overpower guys. He could for some, but not all of them. And, and so, you know, take what he learned from his, his brief time in North America last year and apply it here, which is, you know, being bigger, being tougher, um, and then also still playing to his strengths, which is still good hand skills, a good shot, an ability to score. You know, we should see some points from him. But I think his primary thing is just being versatile and being a guy that can be relied upon in any situation. Um, and, and, you know, I think Finland's got a real good chance to medal here as well. I mean, that's, that's what they do, right? Yeah, well, they always do. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, Chris, thank you very much. We appreciate your time as always. Hey, Jesse, my pleasure. Anytime. Always happy to talk hockey with you. It's always a lot of fun.